You're listening to the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health podcast series from the Digital Health Council, where we aim to support healthcare innovation by disseminating knowledge of expert leaders at the Royal Society of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Marla Morkin. Welcome back to another episode of the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health podcast series. In today's episode, I speak with Dr. Syra Gafour, and Syra is passionate about evidence generation in the digital health space. What is the use of having digital health technologies and healthcare innovation if we can't prove evidence around it to actually make impact for patient care? We also discuss about the value of healthcare policy and how healthcare policy really does need to adapt and change and keep up with the innovations that are around it. So enjoy. Please just tell us a bit more about you and um, how you got to know about the Royal Society of Medicine and um, what you're up to at the moment. Great. Thanks so much for having me. So um, I'm Saira Gaffur. I'm the lead for digital health um, at the Institute of Global Health Innovation at Imperial College. And I've been there for almost three years now. I'm also an honorary respiratory consultant at St Mary's Hospital. um, And I'm the co-founder of two startups. One is called Saima, which deals with mental health technologies. um, And it's essentially therapy online. And the other one is Prova Health, um, which deals with evidence generation for digital technologies. Um, the RSM has been a big part of medicine over you know, my whole career really um, and been involved in the past couple of years going to various different um, events um, at the RSM and know Fiona Moss really well um, who's been a mentor and has been fantastic uh, to work with previously when I was at NHS England. Fantastic, fantastic. Well thank you so much for coming on and joining us. I think um I mean, we got to know each other through the Imperial College Network, but I think that it's actually fascinating how much in this space there is so much overlap by the people that are doing digital health as well as, you know, having a background in healthcare. How has it been for you kind of transitioning from your role as a consultant into this digital health space? Has it been fun? Oh, definitely. I think it's it's been great fun the whole way. So, I mean, if you said to me, you know, at the beginning of my medical career that do you envisage yourself to be doing this, it would be completely, um, you know, I would ne- never dreamt of it in a million years, but it's been a great um, journey and super interesting from like lots of different um, fellowships and other experiences that I've had along the way um, to end up in this role. But I think the, the best thing is, is that having done um, the medicine side of it, um, I think it brings so much value to the digital health space. And I think that's one of the big things um, is that you see a lot of um, tech startups, you see a lot of kind of digital health products out in the market and lots of apps um, that have been created by, you know, various tech, amazing tech people, but mm-hmm. there's been very little in the way of, kind of healthcare background in it and I think that's super important just to make sure that you're creating something that's fit for purpose whether it's a kind of service tool um, that can be used by um, healthcare professionals or whether it's you know end user is going to be a patient um, so I think it's super important just to kind of have that background and that you can really bring um, you know you can really bring those skills um, to the table so I think it's been it's been great kind of bringing all of that to the digital health side of things. It's amazing and, and I suppose what you were saying there is about bringing a product into market but also yeah. your work um, is also now in validating the concepts when they're kind of around right and seeing the growth of them. 
I don't think there are many people that can say that they've started a company with Lord Darcy. I would love to hear a bit more about um, the work you're doing there and, um, and how you can see kind of that type of model and validating, um, validating digital health products kind of going forward in the future. That's right. So, I mean, one of the big things about, you know, any kind of tech product out in the market um, is that does it work? Is it fit for purpose? And a lot of the ones that you get on the app store for, you know, whether you're using your Fitbit or whether, you know, you're using a Runkeeper or something like that, you know, generally the, you know, it's user experience that's the kind of gives a rating um, on the app store. But I think for health technologies or certainly healthcare apps, um, and other kind of digital products that are kind of being brought into the market for healthcare, um, a lot of times you see that actually there's not really a huge amount of evidence behind them. Um, and this is a bit of a kind of catch-22 situation. So, I mean, we'll just kind of focus on the NHS at the moment. Um, that say you want to bring a product to market or you want to bring a product into the healthcare system. One of the first things that somebody's going to ask you is, you know, what is the evidence that it works? Mm -hmm. But if you don't have, you know, a group of patients to trial it on or a group of like end users such as healthcare professionals to trial it on, it's going to be very difficult to kind of get that evidence. Um, and sometimes it's very difficult to actually get evidence in practice as well, because obviously there's lots of ethical considerations. Um, you know, you've got to think about data protection as well. Um, and actually, do people have the time to um, feedback on various things when they've got their clinical duties um, to do? And it's very hard to recruit patients as well. Um, so one of the big things that we have looked at is how do you then generate evidence in a pragmatic way? It's very difficult to do a three-year randomised controlled trial, but at the same time, you still do need to show that something works effectively. Um, so what we've been doing is looking at, you know, various different ways on how you can generate evidence and, you know, looking at alternate solutions such as um, simulation, as an example, and actually working with digital health companies to kind of see what is it that they need to um, show in terms of evidence. And a lot of times, again, they don't really have, um, you know, a huge scientific um, team behind them or, you know, a kind of research team behind them to kind of help them figure out what it is in terms of evidence that, you know, that would be appropriate to show what kind of stuff healthcare professionals would be looking for mm -hmm. or, you know, system, um, what the system really needs or whoever is going to kind of procure that, you know, healthcare technology. So I think it's very important to kind of help them through that journey for market readiness. Fantastic. Yeah. And and when you say simulation, um, and that one of the things that you're helping with is kind of data collection through simulation, what does that actually mean for, for a concept? I mean, it, like we're all very familiar with the concept if you've got a drug, you test it in patients, yeah. and it, it works or it doesn't work, right? So does it, is, this, is the same kind of thought process there when you're simulating whether a concept works or not? Can you get rigorous data from it on the other end? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, it's very different in, um, in terms of, you know, again, how rigorous does this need to be? Is it an RCT? Um, and we know that we can achieve that level of evidence for a technology that may be um, outdated in that three-year period. So I think it's looking at it very, very pragmatically. And sometimes you can use simulation um, as a proxy. So um, a lot of it is kind of user feedback. So kind of arrange a kind of simulation in a kind of real-time environment for them um, to have all the information that they need, kind of create that clinical scenario or create that kind of um, scenario for the patient if they're going to be using it as well so kind of creating 
that having all the information to hand, all the kind of clinical data that they might be using, um, and then putting in the digital technology in, in a very controlled environment as well. Um, but then, you know, as you make it more complex and sophisticated as well, you know, you can account for the fact that, you know, people might have come off a night shift and then actually do some cognitive testing beforehand or, you know, wow. do it after they've used it and things. So it's depending on how complex you want to make it and how sophisticated you want to make it. But it kind of, you know, there's a huge spectrum and that's like one, you know, that's only one methodology of kind of using um, or, or kind of generating evidence. So there's like lots of other different things that you can do, but simulation certainly I think is one that's um, been really exciting to use and kind of, you know, we all think about surgical simulations or, you know, you know, various different simulations we've all done throughout our medical training, but I think it's a fantastic way um, to look at digital technologies. And I think it's very underutilized um, at the moment. It makes sense, doesn't it? Because if, you know, if we're going to, as you're saying, generating real-time evidence, there's so many ethical yeah. considerations to take into account that being able to do this in a in a safe, well-defined, regulated manner is really going to be the future of things. I mean, like, let's 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 take it um, a tiny step backwards, though, because I really want to hear more about you and your kind of journey to get to being this doctor who's also founded two companies, but is also working for a research institution. I mean, it is a fantastic set of achievements, and I wonder whether or not you could kind of talk us through the challenges behind that as well, because I um, I think for a lot of listeners, we have a lot of listeners that are medics and they're often very inspired by people that have um, got a variety of different buckets that they're doing in their career. And um, if you have any advice or if you have seen any of the challenges about working in the space, I think it'd be really interesting for our listeners. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I think um, back in in my F1 year and really wanted to be a surgeon but uh, that really <laughs> dissipated when I realized I'd have to be up at six o'clock in the morning to make it in for a wardrobe so really not a morning person that didn't really work your backup um, plan is a surgeon <laughs> <laughs> that, but yeah definitely definitely not those early morning starts um, so along the way um, I've always been very interested in policy and politics um, and uh, in my higher training when I was doing that in Sheffield um, there was an opportunity to do a kind of um, service improvement fellowship um, and it was brilliant I think more than anything else that was probably in my ST5 ST5 year um, and during that time it was very much a kind of a bit of you know when you come off the the medical training treadmill and you have some headspace to really think about um, what you actually want to do you know what potential opportunities there are and what other things you can actually do um, and I think we're all very accustomed to in medicine you kind of jump onto a treadmill and that's it you know you've got this path you've got to take it you've got to pass x exams you've got to you know get your specialty training done and you've got to publish these papers you know all these different things and it's very very difficult to kind of have the headspace to think about what else is feasible to explore other interests that you might have um, so I think that was brilliant for that year and just spending time with some amazing people um, 
we had Susie Bailey was my boss at that point and she's now the head of leadership at the King's Fund um, and just working with someone like her um, it was brilliant who kind of gives you the opportunity to kind of explore your ideas um, and at that point started a master's in health policy as well from Imperial um, and gave um, you know it just kind of gives you that that kind of background as well just to learn more about the topic um, so did that and then that kind of spurred on that kind of thing um, and then ended up um, going back to higher training for a bit and then did apply for another fellowship um, and it was one of the FMLM fellowships at NHS England um, so that was again another amazing experience worked with Bruce Keel for the year um, worked in the new care models teams but also worked with the innovation team there as well and that's where my kind of like interest in digital was really sparked it was clearly this is the future this is what we need to do, this is where the focus needs to be. Um, but more than anything, I think having a systems perspective is like, you know, we've got so many different parts to the NHS. How does, you know, it all fit together? Um, how does the system work? How do kind of like payment models work? All these kind of like really um, kind of like things that you never really think about when you're in training, but actually is so crucial um, to have a bit of an understanding about that. Um, so I ended up finishing off my master's, did that fellowship um, and then went back to my final year of training and then was thinking, oh God, what on earth am I going to do? So decided to do another fellowship <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and then ended up going to the US and um, did a Hartness fellowship there wow. um, and was based in New York for, for the year. And again, so at that point, it was very much actually my interest in policy, my interest is in digital. Um, how can I kind of fit those both together? And then the project that I ended up doing um, was looking at patient facing technologies and what you can learn from non-healthcare industries. Um, so spent the year in the US, um, traveled across the US and met some amazing people from you know huge companies um, to kind of smaller startups. And it was brilliant. It was just such an amazing experience, met some really interesting people, um, the other fellows I worked with, um, but also kind of um, again, having that break from the clinical side of things to help kind of create, develop and kind of think about other ideas as well. Um, and then came back to the UK. Um, so at that point, um, I started my job at Imperial. So it was an amazing opportunity there to work at the Institute of Global Health um, and work with uh, Prof Darcy. Um, and uh, the, the role there was kind of looking at digital health policy, but that's kind of expanded into a much bigger program, looking at digital health uh, more broadly. Um, and at that point kind of um, started working clinically as well um, as an honorary consultant at the Trust. But it was brilliant. I think it's just having um, the opportunity um, when people kind of help you and really kind of push you and I think that's the key thing is having supportive people who kind of see what you're trying to do help you do that as well and I think that's one of the biggest things um, is that you kind of get a lot of people who kind of say computer says no mm -hmm. you know they don't really see the kind of bigger picture but I think it's holding on to the people that do and who are really helpful and kind of strangers essentially yeah. who take a chance on you and it's absolutely amazing what that can do for you. That is so inspiring I actually really love that because it is true it's the people you meet along the way that really shapes yeah. you that person and the career that defines you after that right? Oh there's so many people like along the way who you know who had no reason or you know had no kind of 
compulsion to help me but they went out of their way to do that and I think it's so so important um and from a kind of mentoring perspective as well and actually it's paying that forward so you know it's all these people who've helped me along the way who've literally you know cannot thank them enough um and it's kind of paying that forward now to kind of make sure that I do the same for other people and I think people um you know it's, it's such an important part um of the journey I think and that's it's an interesting thing because we've not actually discussed it on this podcast series before. It's about mentoring and having the right people that kind of lead you through the process, especially in digital health. But I wonder, I mean, like for, for the people that are listening that really want to learn more about different fields, how would you even go about finding someone that can really take you by the hand and be like, this is a really exciting opportunity for you. Try this, try that, push you there. Is there a website? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good idea. We can set one up. <laughs> but um, I think like mentoring in terms of like all aspects of medicine, I think it's such a crucial part because it is like just going back to what I was saying earlier, that you kind of jump onto this treadmill. It's all about, you know, you've got to achieve all the tick box exercises. You've got to get your exams. You've got to get your training. Um, but sometimes it's, you know, if you have an idea or if you've got a different interest, you know, whatever that may be I, with digital medicine or anything else, um, it is really to kind of like try and seek out somebody and you know it, not everyone's going to say yes but actually if you go to someone and say you know is there any chance you can like speak to me about whatever and just having that initial conversation and to be honest like nine times out of ten that person will say yes but it's kind of trying to seek out somebody who you know either um is a good sounding board and can help you with something or has got good advice to give you or they have kind of done a similar thing that would interest you or you know somebody who's completely out with um, but it's always good to have somebody just to kind of discuss your ideas with to kind of get not so much an opinion but um you know for them to to kind of help guide you more than anything else and I think it's such um it's such an amazing thing to have um, and whether that's, you know, somebody who's a couple of years ahead of you or, you know, is peer-to-peer -peer mentoring as well. Um, and one of the things I did when I was at Sheffield um, was with some of my colleagues there, um, we set up Sheffield Women um, in Medicine. Um, and one of the key things that we did there was kind of really look at peer-to-peer um, -peer mentoring and peer support. And I think it's such an important part. Um, and it's so, so helpful. And certainly I've benefited so much from it over the years. Um, and again, it's one of those things that you do need to pay forward as well. I love that. I love that. I suppose I want to um, end it by asking you a question, which I feel like everyone will want to know because of your position. But is, is health policy catching up to the digital health innovations that it's trying to, that it's trying to accommodate for? Or is it lagging behind? Where are we? I think it's all, I mean, because... It's always, it's always going to lag behind um, a bit and certainly I think different countries have different policies and stuff um, and I think it's trying to kind of uh, make sure you've got some commonality of language as well and um, so certainly I think it's just even you know some of the work that we're doing at Imperial College at the moment is kind of looking at healthcare data so we're kind of almost playing catch up in terms of rules and regulations around it but then what happens when you're using data for commercial purposes how do you then kind of regulate for that to make sure that the patient and public are kind of at the the kind of the forefront of it all without compromising people's um you know privacy and um, without kind of um, compromising any kind of data security etc so i think 
is a massive catch up there. But also when you look at introducing health technologies, what are the kind of biggest barriers? Um, you kind of look at um, infrastructure, we need a lot more money. So then that goes back to kind of um, economic policy and then who decides that? And that's more of a kind of governmental decision as opposed to, you know, purely health service driven. Um, so you need that infrastructure, but then also from a kind of more health policy perspective, how do you pay for any of this mm-hmm. um, in terms of, okay, I am a spiritual physician. Um, I think, you know, X app would be fantastic to help my patient manage your asthma. Um, but actually, who's paying for that? Is it the individual? Um, is it the CCG? Is it part of the kind of, the, the kind of procurement process for, you know, when you're buying um, secondary care um, health services but how do you actually pay for that so and what are the incentives and at the moment we have some very kind of um, skewed incentives in terms of like what we actually pay for and how we pay for it so it's across the spectrum it's kind of the innovation side and then it's the, the kind of infrastructure and it's also the kind of um, financial side of things as well as like how do you actually pay for all of that and then there's all the kind of future stuff that's coming along you know all the kind of ethics around AI, um, robotics, everything else. Um, and it's almost, I think we are going to be playing catch up for a long time, but it is so interesting. It's like how you tackle these huge problems. But it's not just the UK, it's every single healthcare system. Um, and we have the, the benefit of having some like great people here. Um, and actually you learn from other countries, see what they're doing, you work together, you work collaboratively. And it's uh, an interesting journey. Oh, brilliant! Well, the future is bright then, um, and I and I'm excited to see how we how we do eventually catch up and then hopefully um, pioneer this from the UK as well. But thank you so much for speaking with me on the podcast. I had such a lovely That's time. A thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health podcast series with Dr. Syra Gafour and me, your host, Dr. Marla Morkin. If you would like to learn more about the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health podcast series or the council itself, then please click the link in the bio and we've got our upcoming events and webinars that we would love to have you involved in. Bye for now.